0: Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our city campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation, and our world. You know, life often uh, teaches us hard lessons, doesn't it? And I'll never forget when my family had to go through a really hard time. It was 1998 and the phone rang. It was Christmas time. My mum, she went into the side room where our phone was and she took the call. When she came back, it looked as though she was going to crumble before our eyes. My dad, he took her into the bedroom to console her, and it turns out that my auntie, my mum's sister, had been travelling home from a Christmas Eve party when their car had careered off the road It had slammed into a tree, and now my auntie was in critical condition in the hospital. Well, a couple weeks later, they turned off the life support, and my auntie died. You know, Christmas and our family would never quite be the same again. You know, life tests us, and life tries us. You know, some of our trials that we go through in life are like two on the trial scale. So you get a flat tire on the way to work. No big deal. But other trials that you go through in life are like a 9 or a 10, like your auntie dying at Christmas time. There is life before the trial, and then there is life after the trial. Peter Cazero, in his book Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, he calls these seasons wall moments. Seasons when our faith comes up against a wall and is tested. And there's no way around the wall, there's no way under the wall, you just have to go through the wall. And therefore, many of us, we get stuck at the wall, because it's painful. I mean, it's easy to talk about walls, it's easy to preach about walls, but to take that inward journey of going through the wall is very, very painful. Maybe you're here today and you are facing a wall moment. Maybe you're going through a divorce. Maybe, you know, this is something that you never thought would happen to you. And now your future is going to be quite different from what your past was. Maybe this week your your boss took you into his office and he said, I'm sorry, but we're going to have to let you go. And you just have no job prospects at all. Well, this morning, I want to look at Genesis chapter 22. So if you have your Bible or your phone, open it up to Genesis chapter 22, and we're going to look at a wall that Abraham faced in his journey of faith. Now, when you first meet Abraham in the Bible, Abraham and Sarah, his wife, are already senior citizens. Abraham is 75 and Sarah is 65, and they've already had to deal with the pain of not having any children. But then God came to them, as recorded in Genesis 12, and he said, I'm going to give you multiple descendants, and you are going to be a great nation, and Abraham believed God. And he ended up taking his family from Ur of the Chaldeans over to the land of Canaan. But then year after year goes by, and 10 years go by, and still Abraham has no children. So Abraham says to God, I know you've made these incredible promises, God, that I'm going to be a great nation, but I don't have any kids. And it looks like I'm going to have to leave all of my possessions to my employees. But God says, no, Abraham... You're going to have a son from your own body. And then he takes him outside and he shows him the stars in the night sky. And he says, as many as those stars, so will your offspring be. And Abraham believed God. And he entered into a relationship with him. But then Abraham and Sarah, they got a bit impatient waiting for God to fulfill his promise. Like we get impatient waiting on God. And so... Sarah said to Abraham, why don't you just have a son with my maidservant Hagar? Something that was quite common in that time. And so Abraham had a son with Hagar and they called him Ishmael. But then God came to Abraham 14 years later, 14 years on, when Abraham is 99 years of age and Sarah is 89 years of age. And he says, it won't be through Ishmael that my promises will come, but you will have a son with Sarah. Now, that seemed impossible. I mean, Abraham and Sarah were already way beyond the age of having children. Abraham, as I said, was 99 years of age. Sarah was 89 years of age. The Bible says that they were as good as dead. (laughs) You know, Abraham, Sarah would have looked at Abraham and she would have said, I love you, old fella, but you're a bit of a prune. (laughs) And I think Sarah would have said, well, I mean, Abraham would have said, well, Sarah, I love you too, darling, but you're not much better. But God came to them and he said, in one year's time, I'm going to visit you and you're going to have a child. And in Genesis 21, God visited them and he did the impossible. Against all odds, they had this miracle boy in their old age. And now God comes to Abraham in Genesis 22, look down your Bibles and it reads this, it says, after these things, God tested Abraham and he said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am, and he said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Morah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I will tell you. Now, this was a major test of faith, a major war moment. You see, there were many different offerings in the Old Testament. Some of the offerings were like the grain offering or the fellowship offering where the worshiper would come into the temple and they'd offer the part of the offering and then they'd eat part of the offering in the presence of God. But the burnt offering was an offering of complete devotion, of complete surrender. The flames didn't go out until the offering was completely consumed. And so this was a major call to devotion and sacrifice. Commentator Warren Weersby he writes that our faith is not really tested until God asks us to bear what seems unbearable, to do what seems unreasonable and to expect what seems impossible. Let me say that again. Your faith is not really tested until God asks you to bear what seems unbearable, to do what seems unreasonable, and to expect what seems impossible. You know, for Abraham at this point, it would have seemed unbearable and impossible that God would be asking him to offer up his only son. But you know what? By the end of the chapter, not only did Abraham journey through the wall and passed this test of faith. But in verse 16, the angel of the Lord said to Abraham, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will bless you. And I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars in the heavens and as the sand that is on the seashore, and your offspring shall inherit the gate of his enemies, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham passed through his wall. He obeyed God. He passed the test of faith. And God said, now, I'm surely going to bless you, Abraham. So how did Abraham avoid getting stuck at the wall and make his journey through the wall? What did Abraham do that will help us make our painful journeys through our walls? Well, the first thing that Abraham did is he focused on the promises of God. Abraham focused his mind not on needing an explanation, but he focused on what God had said to him. Look down in verse 3, we read this. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and rose and went to the place of which God had told him. So he didn't delay. He didn't ask God for further clarification. He obeyed. But you can imagine, can't you, that the whole time while, while Abraham is cutting the wood that's going to burn up his son, while he's saddling the donkey, you can imagine, as Andrew said before, that his thoughts would have been racing through his mind. You know, what's the number one question that you have when you're passing through a warm moment? Isn't it this question? Why? Why, God, would you do this to me? But do you notice what's missing from verses 2 and 3 in your Bibles? What's missing is that God never gave Abraham an explanation at this point for why he wanted him to offer up Isaac as a burnt offering. He never told him why. You know, you can expend a lot of mental energy trying to figure out why, trying to figure out what's going on in my circumstances, who's to blame for the situation that I'm in. Now, obviously, that's very normal. But if we spend all of our energy needing an explanation, I think it will only lead to further doubt, fear, and anxiety. So what should we focus on as we begin our journey through the wall? Focus on God and his promises to you. Look down your Bibles in verse 4, we read this. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and he saw the place from afar. Now we just read before that God had said, when, when, you, when you journey, you're going to see the place. And so Abraham has seen the place where he's going to offer Isaac. So verse 5, we read this. And Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. Now notice this, he says, I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. Now I don't think that Abraham was lying when he said these words to his young men. I think that Abraham fully expected that he would take Isaac with him and he would go over and he would offer up the burnt offering, Isaac as a burnt offering, and then I think he fully expected afterwards that he and Isaac would return. But why did he expect that? Well he expected that because God had made him a promise. In Genesis 21, after Isaac was born, God had said to Abraham that it would be through Isaac that your offspring would come. And so Abraham reasoned. If God is asking me to offer up Isaac as a burnt offering, but God has said it will be through Isaac that my offspring will come, then God must intend to do a miracle. God must intend to raise him from the dead. The author of the Hebrews writes this. He says, he considered that God was able to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. You see, wall moments reveal to us what we really believe. You know, there's always a difference between what we say we believe and what we really believe. And wall moments reveal what we really believe about God. You know, you can say that you trust God and that he's in control, but you know, all it takes is for a few things to go south in your life, and then you'll come face to face with what you actually really believe. And this wall moment had revealed that Abraham had come to this place of trusting in God. Now, you might be here today, and you might say, man, my faith is nowhere near the faith of Abraham. Well, that's all right. You know, remember this is twenty-five years into Abraham's journey of faith. And it already faced multiple walls already. It already faced the wall of he and Sarah being barren. <laughs> he'd already faced the wall of having to deal with his pesky nephew Lot <laughs> and all of the troubles that Lot caused him. He also he also had to face the wall of failing, of trying to take God's will into his own hands and do God's will his own way by having a child with Hagar. And each one of these walls was more difficult than the last, but each one grew his faith. You see, God knows exactly what you need to grow your faith. And so the wall that you're facing right now is specifically designed to grow you in faith. But as I said, what will help you journey through that wall will be not on focusing on needing an explanation, but focusing on the God who called you to himself. You know, in 2010, Tegan and I, we moved from Perth to Adelaide. Uh, I was moving there to become the senior pastor of what would then become City Reach Baptist Church in Oakton. And over the summer, we were staying at my parents' house in Harvey Bay. And it was just a beautiful place. Uh, summer, my parents have a swimming pool and um, the kids enjoyed swimming in the swimming pool each afternoon. And this one afternoon, my dad and I, we were standing around the swimming pool and we were talking about uh, what, um, what house we were going to buy when we moved to Adelaide. And I was engrossed in the conversation with my dad, talking about all the options that we could, that we could possibly do. And when we were talking, as we were talking, one of my children, Ava, She was only two at the time. She got out of the pool, and she asked me to take off her floaties. I think she was intending to go inside. Um, Well, a few minutes later, just out of the corner of my eye, I saw Abby, our second eldest daughter, pick up Ava's lifeless body off the bottom of the pool. She'd obviously jumped back into the pool without her floaties, sunk to the bottom, and had been there for I don't know how long. I screamed. Oh no, I've let my kids drown. Fortunately, my wife Tegan, she's a nurse, and her nursing training kicked in, and she did CPR. And what seemed to be, for what seemed to be the longest two minutes of my life, eventually Ava coughed up some water and she started breathing again. Now, she's fine, praise God, as you heard, she's here today, she's a healthy 15 year old, so she's fine. But that night, As I went to bed, my thoughts were racing through my mind. And the only way I could quiet my racing thoughts was by focusing on what God had said to me, was focusing on the fact that I was his child and he loved me. So to journey through the wall, don't focus on needing an explanation. You may not get one, but focus on God And his promises to you. But not only do you need to focus on God's promises, if you want to journey through the wall, you need to give up control. Look down in verse 6, we read, And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering, and he laid it on Isaac his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them, together. Then we read this in verse 7. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Behold, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Now, obviously, they'd offered burnt offerings before, and Isaac knew that when you offered a burnt offering, you needed something to offer. So he said, Where is the lamb, father? And look at how Abraham responds in verse 8. He says, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. You know, as you study the story of Abraham's life, you find that the story of Abraham's life is he is growing in his understanding of God's character. And particularly, he's growing as he understands the different names of God. For example, in Genesis chapter 17, God revealed that he was El Shaddai, the God Almighty. Then in the previous chapter, in Genesis 21, he revealed that he was El Olam, the everlasting one, the one who's the same yesterday, today, and forever. But here in Genesis 22, Abraham learns that the Lord is Yahweh Yairah, the Lord, my provider. Now, Uh, Warren Wiersbe, in his commentary, he writes that this can be literally rendered this way. The Lord will see to that. I wonder, I wonder in your life, have you learned to say those words? The Lord will see to that. You know, I don't know what you're facing this morning. Maybe you're facing something that's only a two on the trial scale. Maybe you're facing something more serious in your life that's like a nine or a ten. But let me tell you something, whatever you're facing, the Lord will see to that. That's the truth, that whatever you're facing, God can handle it. But in order to actually allow God to handle it, you need to give up control. Do you realize that there is a relationship between dependence and control? You know, you cannot depend on God and still be in control. You know, my wife, Tegan, she's a pretty bad backseat driver. Um, She can't just relax and enjoy the trip. She's always giving me orders. You know, you're following too close. You know, watch out, watch out, watch out for the sidewalk there. You know, have you seen that car coming? That car coming? Now, I don't blame her because I'm actually a really bad front seat driver. (laughs) I don't know if you've ever seen those signs, uh, you know, those signs that it says that the police are targeting this right now, you know, the police are targeting speeding, or they're targeting seatbelt wearing. This one time, I kid you not, I saw the the sign, it was like, the police are targeting inattentive drivers. And I thought to myself, I'm stuffed, right? (laughs) Because I'm one of the most inattentive drivers there is. But... You know, I don't know if you've watched, ever watched uh, the documentary on Netflix, Drive to Survive. Who here has watched Drive to Survive, you know? You know what I'm talking about? No one here has watched Drive to Survive. (laughs) Drive to Survive is this documentary about Formula One, and it's, Formula One is making a bit of a resurgence. And on, in the Formula One circuit, there is this Aussie driver called Daniel Ricciardo. Now imagine if Tegan was in the car with him, and he was driving along. It wouldn't make any sense for her to be a backstreet driver because he is one of the best drivers in the world. I mean, if he can drive a Formula One car 200 miles around Monaco, he can certainly drive her to Chermshide Shopping Centre. But for her to enjoy the drive, she would need to give up control and allow him to drive. But you know, our problem is that not only do we struggle with backstreet driving, backseat driving, But our problem is that we often reach across in the passenger seat, and we're trying to grab the steering wheel. We're trying to hold on to the steering wheel. You see, if you want God to really work in your life, you need to let go of the steering wheel. You need to allow him to drive. My wife and I, uh, and my wife Tegan and I, as Andrew sort of alluded to before, we got married at the ripe old age of 19. And... After the first year of our marriage, we actually began to struggle. And in 1996, I was at a Hillsong conference, and I felt God call me into full-time pastoral ministry. I heard that call to to give my life over to God and to actually follow his call into ministry. Well, over over the next few months at Ashgrove Baptist Church, I started youth leading, I started leading worship, and even had an opportunity to preach a sermon. But while I was getting really involved in the church, Tegan was getting really involved in her work and our marriage was in trouble. You see, Tegan had graduated a year earlier from university and she had just started working and our lives were on these two different trajectories. Well, in 1997, I went part-time at the Bible College of Queensland and worked part-time just to test the waters to see whether vocational Christian ministry was in my future. And my plan was the next year to go to Bible college and eventually to plant a church by the time I was 25 because that's exactly what Bill Hybels had done. (laughs) But Tegan then got pregnant. I had something to do with that, of course. (laughs) And as I said, things were not good in our marriage. We were fighting all the time. Tegan wasn't going to church because she wouldn't play into my hypocrisy you see I thought to be a big man of God meant that you put on this brave front at church pretending that you're someone who has it all together and she wouldn't play into that and any time that she questioned whether it was a good idea for us to go to Bible college I would just quote to her Ephesians 5:21, wives submit to your husbands <laughs> I used it like a bit of a stick that I would bat over her head Well one day, right at the end of 1997, by this time we'd been fighting over and over again, Tegan said to me, when you come home this afternoon, I'm not going to be there. Now I just thought that she was giving me an empty threat, but sure enough, when I came home, she wasn't there. Now some friends tracked her down, and it turns out she'd booked herself into a hotel. And the friends, the husband, he came and got me and he took me out for dinner and the wife took Tegan out for dinner and I was so angry. I listed off all these demands that I said Tegan needs to meet if she's going to come back to me and top of the list was Ephesians 5.21. Wives, submit to your husbands. Well, my, my friend, he got the list and he read it out to Tegan and she broke down and cried. And she said, I want to be the wife that Timon wants me to be. But we're just so broken. And he won't listen. See, I was holding on to my dreams. I was holding on to my life. I was in control. Well, then, my friend, he said to me some words that I'll never forget. He said, you need to read Ephesians 5 again, Timon. Because it not only says, wives, submit to your husbands. It says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And so instead of going off to Bible college and pursuing that, we moved down to Helensvale and I just was a music teacher. I'd given up control. You see, if you are going to pass through the wall, then you need to give up control. You need to let go of control and allow God to be the driver's seat of your life. So if you're going to pass through the wall, you need to focus on God's promises. You need to give up control But finally, to pass through the wall, you need to look forward to future blessings. You know, I wish I could give you a time frame for your wall that you're facing this morning. I wish I could say that your wall will only last for the next month, or the next six months, or the next year. But God is sovereign over the length of our walls. You know, for Abraham, this wall in Genesis 22, it only lasted three days, But the wall of having to wait for Isaac actually lasted 25 years. So some walls are short while others are much longer and we we have to wait. But what will help us to wait as we journey through the wall is by looking forward in hope to future blessings. Look down in verse 9 in your Bibles. We read this: When they came to the place of which God had told them, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood on the altar in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and he took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. And he said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that. That you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. You know, now we see what this test was actually all about. God was testing Abraham's heart to see whether Abraham feared God and loved God above all other things. Do you know what the greatest blessing that you'll ever experience being a Christian? The greatest ex- experience that you'll ever have as a Christian is having a deep relationship with God a deep relationship where you have come to realize that he is truly all you need you know people who pass through walls they live with a greater sense of detachment you know often in our lives we hold on to things so tightly we hold on to our relationships our jobs our positions of influence we think that we can't live without them but after you pass through the wall you realize that God is all you need you know after Tegan and I we moved down to the Gold Coast things got worse for us before they got better After our first child Hannah was born we had to actually spend a season apart separated Tegan went to live with some of the elders of our church and I just lived in our rental but during this season when I didn't know whether we were going to make it as a couple or not I have to tell you that I had the deepest peace with God had the deepest intimacy with God. Well, eventually, Tegan and I moved back together in 1999. And three years later, she actually said to me, Timon, you're not a music teacher. You're a pastor. It's time to go to Bible college. And so we started going to Bible college. And then God amazingly opened up the way for us to go and spend four years overseas, over in America, studying at a place called Dallas Theological Seminary, something that I'd never envisaged. After seminary, we came back to Australia. We pastored in Perth for four years. And then, as I've already said, God moved us from Perth, and we ended up in Adelaide, where we had the privilege of being used by the Lord to revitalize a church and start a church planting network. It was amazing. Now, if you had have asked me two years ago where I was going to be for the rest of my life, I would have said, Adelaide. <laughs> God had given us, and I remember exactly where I was. I was in this moment of worship. God had given me this vision for planting churches because our, our, our country, our nation needs more churches. God had given me this vision to plant 10 churches in Adelaide, 10 churches interstate, and 10 churches overseas. And God was doing it. He was bringing people. He was bringing resources. And God was doing this amazing thing. But then last year, Tegan and I went through another wall. God asked me to resign my roles and move back to Queensland. It was like God was asking me to take my son, my only son, whom I love, and offer it to him. You know, it's so interesting, isn't it? We can take God-given blessings that he's given us, and we can take them in And we can hold on to them tightly. They can become our identity. They can become the things that we love more than God. And I have to say, my ministry had become my identity. don't know where it happened, but just over time, it it became the biggest thing in my life. Now, at first, when God asked me to resign my roles, I resisted. But eventually... Through the counsel of others, I realized what God was asking me to do. He was asking me to take my positions and place them on the altar before him. And when I finished up last year on the 30th of November, which was the date when I finished being the senior pastor of City Reach Oakton and the director of a church planning network, I thought that my life was over. I couldn't imagine life beyond that. But do you know what I discovered? Do you know what I discovered? I discovered what Abraham found. I found that God met me there at that point with his presence and his love. Now, I haven't fully passed through my wall yet. My wife, Tegan, and I, we're still on the journey. But do you know what I'm going to tell you right here? It was hard to let go of those things that I held so tightly. But I'm so thankful that God called me to because I would not trade it for the world. I would not trade the level of relationship I have with God for the world. You see, maybe God has got you here today and I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what walls you're going through. But maybe you're here this morning And God is saying, let go of control. Give it over to me. Make the focus of your life, not needing an explanation, but make your focus me and my promises to you. You see, I think that some of you are still holding on to control. But what will help you? Let go. What will help you let go of control? What will give you the confidence to let go of control? Well, when I read this passage, I can't help but read this passage in the light of the gospel. I mean, look down your Bibles in verse 13. We read that when Abraham lifted up his eyes, he looked and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. And Abraham went and he took the ram and he offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. And so Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide, as it is said, to this day on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And do you know what's interesting? That the mountain range of Moriah was the exact place where Jerusalem was built. So this was the place where Jesus would later on be crucified, the one who God would provide as a sacrifice for our sins. And you know, there are many parallels between Isaac and Jesus. I mean, just as Isaac walked up the mountain with the wood strapped on his back, Jesus went to Calvary. With a wooden cross on his back. And just as Father Abraham willingly offered up his son, God our Father was willing to sacrifice his son. And just as Isaac willingly submitted to be bound and placed on the altar, Jesus willingly went to the cross for you. He said, Father, not my will, but yours be done. But you know, there's one difference between Isaac and Jesus. In the last moment, a ram was provided in Isaac's place. But on the cross, Jesus, your substitute, suffered and died for your sin. You see, if God was willing to meet your deepest need, you're a sinner. You were separated from God. If God was willing to meet your deepest need by sending his own son, will he not meet every other one of your needs? Paul puts it this way in Romans 8. He says, if God was willing up to offer up his son, how will he not be willing to give us all things? You know, a couple of years ago, my parents came to visit me and... Um, I never broached the subject with my mum about what it was like losing her sister at Christmas time. And so I said to my mum, I just said, Mum, what was it like? And I could see the pain that was still in her eyes because when you go through a wall, it is painful. But I heard her testify to the fact that God has used it. And even though she doesn't understand why it happened, God has used it to grow her deeper in her relationship with him. You know, this side of resurrection, we won't often get the why to our suffering, but we do get one who will walk with us. The one who says, I will see to that. I wonder this morning if there's some people in this place and God is saying, Give up control. Offer to me the thing you love. Give up control. Hand it over to me. And you just wait to see what I'll do. And I was just sitting in worship this morning and I was just meditating on this passage. I didn't prepare this, but I just was amazed. I was amazed at the promise of God to Abraham right at the end of the story. God says to Abraham, now I will surely bless you. And he says, now your descendants will be as numerous and through your descendants, all the nations on the earth will be blessed. I was just blown away. Abraham couldn't see, but that was, that's referring to Jesus. That through Jesus' work, every nation on the earth will be blessed. And I thought Abraham didn't know how critical his wall was. That when he passed through his wall, it would end up in the blessing of the entire world. And maybe some of you don't even know how important your wall is for future generations. You have no idea how critical it is that you make that journey through the wall because it's going it's to result in not only blessing for you but blessing, much blessing for others. So I wondered, is God calling you to give up control this morning? Is God calling you to hand over to him your life? I want to invite the band to come back up and just want to pray right now. So let's, let's pray together. Lord, we thank you so much for this passage. We thank you so much for it. We thank you for how it points to Jesus, our Lord, the one whom you provided on the mountain for our sins so that we could come to know you, Father. Lord, we often hold on to things so tightly and we're unwilling to let go of control. And yet over and over again, you've proved your trustworthiness to us. Even as we look at Jesus, you've proven that you were trustworthy to provide for us. You know, last Sunday I was in worship and I just... At the, at the church I was attending, they were singing this song as the last song, New Wine. And as I was singing it, I just, I just sensed that this, was, this is a song for some of you here this morning. In the pressing, in the crushing, he's making new wine. He wants to, through this, through this journey through the wall, bring you out the other side to a new level of freedom, a new level of power but you have to give up control. Let's stand together, shall we? Let's offer ourselves back to the Lord right now. We hope you've been blessed by this message. We are a growing family and we'd love to see you at one of our Sunday services because everyone who comes through our doors is welcome. You can find out more about our community and locations at gatewaybaptist.com.au.